Good morning, church. How is everybody? So good to see everybody on this Memorial Day weekend. Um, so we're glad that you're here, either joining us, obviously, in person or online. My name is Scott. If you're new here, we're glad that you're here as well. If you're a first-time visitor or maybe first time in a while, um, I'm one of the pastors here. I'm actually not the lead pastor, but Brad and his wife and family are out on a much-needed, uh, deserved vacation. So I'm going to be preaching today, so you can pray that God would have his good work in and through our gathering, but we're excited. Um, and as I was driving to uh, work a few days ago, I, was, I pulled up to um, the, the uh, stoplight, and I'm turning left, and I'm listening to the music that I like to listen to, which is pretty loud rock and roll, you know, screaming music, and... Um, I look over two, two lanes, and, there's a, and the windows are down because it's a nice day, and I look over two lanes, and there's this guy, and his windows are down, and he's listening to hip-hop, and mine's really loud, and his is really loud, and I thought, this is wonderful. You know, that we live in a country that I can listen to what I want to listen to, he can listen to what he wants to listen to, we are free to dress the way we want, although some of you shouldn't, <laughs> I'm not calling no names, I'm just saying, you know, we can say what we want to say, we can, we can do what we want to do, and it's because the sacrifice of our soldiers. And so as we celebrate this weekend, it's not a celebration, it's a remembrance of those lives that have been sacrificed for us so that we could be free. You know, that, that sitting there was such a small thing, but it's such a huge thing, you know? And I think that as much as we value those things, and we should honor them with, them, with this, these memories and these tellings of these stories. You know, the greater thing that Christ has freed us spiritually, that by his wounds you have been healed. And that's why we celebrate. That's why we sing. We are made free because God has blessed this nation with a strong military. And I praise God for that. But more importantly, he has freed your soul because of the sacrifice of his son Jesus Christ and that's why we gather and that's why we sing and that's why we celebrate so would you stand with me church we're going to pray and we're going to sing together God I thank you for these truths I thank you that who the son sets free is free indeed and Lord though we struggle in this life the truth is that Christ has paid for everything so my prayer and my hope today is simply that as we reflect on who you are, as we simply marvel in your greatness, that your word and your son, by your Holy Spirit, would do a work in our hearts that would turn us back even closer to you. God, we love you. We thank
thank you that we are allowed to be here to sing and to celebrate and to pray together. Have your way in this place today. In Christ's name, amen. Let's sing and celebrate together.
praise.
check, check, check. There we are. You know what I like most besides Jesus? Um, I like the fact that um, for the musicians on this team that we can sort of switch things up and um, they don't miss a beat. You know, they're that talented and they love Jesus that much. Um, so I thank you for everyone on the platform and behind the scenes who give their best Sunday after Sunday. I want to start by um, talking about the elephant in the room and acknowledging one of the worst uh, tragedies in our nation in the past 10 years, uh, the shooting that took place this past Tuesday in Uvalde's Texas. And I'm sure that everybody has heard about it, right? Salvador Ramos, 18-year-old young man, took the lives ultimately of 19 students and two teachers in Robb Elementary School. And I will tell you this, church, here's what I don't have. I don't have like an eloquent way to tell you why it happened. I know why it happened because evil reigns in the world, but I don't have any good words of comfort that will take pain away. What I can tell you is this, that as believers, you and I have a chance to show the world how we react, you know, through prayer, that we will be on our knees praying for these families, praying for the family of Mr. Ramos because they are not the enemy. You know, they're just as broken and twisted and depraved like we are. And for believers and for non-believers, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming he was a non-believer. I don't know his heart, but I'm going to assume that. And the only difference between him and us is Jesus. That's it, you know? And so I know two things that we can pray and that God is still good. And that doesn't take the pain away. And I don't mean, I'm not trying to make light of anything, but the truth is God is still good. And we conduct ourselves in that way. And we help those families in that way. And we show the love of Christ in that way. By that, he is glorified. And that will bring them comfort, I pray, ultimately. So let's pray for them and then we'll, we'll jump in. Father, I thank you for this opportunity and we do pray for those families of the victims God there's no way that we can understand with our finite minds why things like this happen and we do know that just because you're sovereign doesn't mean that you are okay with this you know that your heart breaks just like our heart breaks so God I pray that you would um, you would bring peace and comfort to those families affected by this terrible, terrible thing. God, that even in the midst of suffering and, and pointless stuff, that you would be glorified. And I pray that as we spend time together, that again, your name would be made much of, and we would disappear. We love you and we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Alright. So, I may or may not have 34 slides, so we're going to be here a while. Is that okay with you? <laughs> no, it's fine. So today, today, I'm going to talk about something that I firmly believe God has laid on my heart to share. I've been thinking about it for a few weeks, and I'll tell you near the end of the sermon um, sort of why, if, if I remember. But um, if you've been with us for the past few weeks, you know that Pastor Brad has been walking us through a sermon series uh, titled The Story, and it's sort of a 30,000-foot view of um, the entire story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. We're going to take a break from that today, and we're going to talk about identity. 
identity. I want to turn your, topic, turn your attention to the topic of identity, and specifically, I want to address two questions that I think each one of us has wrestled with throughout our lives, and, and these are, who am I and why am I here? All right, who am I, why am I here? What is my purpose? Whether you're a 16-year-old teenager sort of trying to figure out how to, how to turn into adulthood, or you're a 50-year-old man going through the middle of a midlife crisis, <laughs> My son asked me one time, he said, Dad, why do, um, why do all the old guys have all the nice cars? <laughs> I said, it's because they have all the disposable income and no kids. Now shut up and get in the minivan. <laughs> <laughs> and he never asked again. <laughs> True story. So I believe and I hope, honestly, that, that this message will be relevant to you and to everyone joining us today. And I praise God that for whatever he does in our midst, um, that he would simply be glorified. Anything good that comes out of this comes from him and him alone. So who am I? Why am I here? I, I think it's important to address and be reminded of what God says about your identity and mine now more than ever. For the obvious reasons, we live in a, a social media world that defines our images, you know, and our identities. Perfect pictures portray perfect lives of peace and happiness, and oftentimes the real story is one of loneliness and shame and despair. The evolutionists would have you believe that you evolved from a single-celled amoeba and over billions of years you came into be this wonderfully uh, creative and complex creature that you are, that you were um, an amoeba and then you crawled out of the ocean and that you became a monkey or a, 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 a dog, I don't know what they say, and then you evolved into man. <laughs> and then after we die... You simply cease to exist, which means there's no purpose, there's no hope, right? That's what they would have you believe. Do whatever you want because it's kind of meaningless. You are a cosmic accident. The gender identity movement would have you believe that you can be whoever you want to be, that you are not that sex assigned at birth, but you can be somebody different gender-wise, and it can change hour by hour. This is a real thing for this world, as you know. But my question to you on that, church, is if your identity is constantly shifting, do you even have one? The psychologist would tell us that we have worth in and of ourselves, that you, you have to work on your own self. You have to work on your own self-esteem, right? That you're a good person. You don't do anything that bad. Like, we're pretty moral people. You can take care of yourself. You're strong and independent. You don't need anyone. The false gospel, this is the big one, would tell us that God desires us to live our best lives now. You ever heard that? One of, the, one of the most popular preachers today said this, and I quote, that you were born to win, you were born for greatness, and you were created to be a champion in life. And this person fills stadium after stadium, Sunday after Sunday with thousands of people longing to hear these words so that they may feel um, complete and valued. The only problem is they're all lies. It's all a lie. And so my goal today, church, is to remind you of the truth, who God says you are and what Scripture says your purpose is and mine is on this earth. So turn with me, if you have a copy of God's Word, to the book of Genesis, and let's look at chapter 1, the creation of the world. 
So in verse 1, God begins by creating the heavens and earth. He then creates light and darkness. He separates the land from the oceans. In verses 11 and 12, he creates the vegetation, all the plants and the trees. And there we read, and God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. In verses 16 and 17, God creates the heavenly bodies, the sun, the moon, and the stars. Scripture says, and God made the two great lights, the greater light to uh, rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And then God begins creating all the living creatures. Verse 20, and God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens verse 24 and God said let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kind livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds and it was so but then we see something amazing verse 26 then God said let us make man in our own image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth verse 27 so God created man in his own image in the image of God he created him in the image of God he created male and female he created them the imago Dei Latin for the image of God you and I, brothers and sisters, are made in the, in the image of God. Isn't that amazing? Like, isn't that incredible when you stop and think about it? But what exactly does that mean, and how does this answer the questions that we're asking? Let's look at the text. I want to point out some amazing things. The first thing we see is the order in which it was created. We see in the preceding verses that God created everything first, right? He created the foundations, the vegetation, the stars, all the creatures, everything. And after everything God called into existence, out of nothing, God made the pinnacle of all creation, you, me, man, the Imago Dei. I believe Genesis chapter 1 is a clear refute of the first lie that we discuss, that of evolution. Every time scripture says that a creation or creature produces according to its own kind, it simply means that an apple tree produces apples, right? A pear tree produces pears. A goat don't produce a chicken. <laughs> and if it does, I would love to own one. <laughs> is that a chicken? <laughs> scripture says the entirety of creation was created in six days, not six billion years. We didn't evolve from amoeba to a crawling thing, to monkey, to man over a period of time. God simply spoke the world into existence, and then it was. This is significant because that means that God created everything for a purpose. It's not meaningless, right? It's not happenstance. Look at Genesis 2-7. It says, Then the Lord God formed the man of 
dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. I love that. And the man became a living creature. What's significant here is that um, when God created everything else prior to man, he just said it. He just simply spoke them into existence. And then it happened, right? But with man, Scripture says God formed him. He didn't simply just command him to spring up out of the earth, but he took time and careful consideration in the creation of man. He then breathed the breath of life into man. The idea here is not that God just simply breathed animal life into man. It's not that at all. What it means is that by his breath, he breathed into man his very soul, his very essence. And this can be said of no other creature on the face of the earth. It's amazing. Something else significant we see here is, is that in verses 1 through 25, God simply tells the earth to produce something and it happens. But in verse 26, it changes. We see that God here moves from saying, you know, uh, you know let there be light and, and, and separate the light and the darkness and all that. Now he says, let us make man in our image. Here God moves from commanding to consulting. Some commentators have suggested that God is speaking to angels or maybe to the earth itself, but that's ridiculous. I believe here is a clear view of the Trinity, the Godhead working in tandem to create God's most prized possession. Not only did God create us and give us the breath of life, look again at 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. He then repeats himself. In 27, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. While there are two different words being used here for image and likeness, they basically mean the same thing. The Hebrew word for likeness refers to something that is similar to but not identical to the object that it represents. The word image can also mean, um, it can be used of something that represents something else. So, the original readers of the text would have interpreted it this way, let us make man to be like us and to represent us. Now, in what ways man is similar to God, we don't know because Scripture doesn't say. Some commentators suggest that um, we are similar in that we have um, similar intellectual abilities, right? We can think, we can reason, or that we have emotion, we can feel, and we can, we can have anger, we can have love. Or perhaps it's maybe in his power to make moral judgments. Still others say that, no, what that means is that because man has dominion over the earth the way that God has dominion over creation, that's how we are similar. Um, but we just don't know because the passage doesn't tell us. And I think it's intentional because I think God didn't want us to get caught up in how we are like him, right? But just that we are like him. I think that's significant. I think it's something that that we miss. John Piper uh, says it this way, the Imago Dei is not a quality possessed by man, it is a condition in which man lives. The image of God is not something um, so much that man has as that he is. Something else we see in scripture is that all, all human life has intrinsic value and worth. Look at Genesis 9, 6. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. There's that statement again. There's a certain dig dignity and worth afforded to human life precisely because we are made in God's image. We are image bearers of God. Irregardless of the color of our skin, the language that we speak, you know, where we come from, where we're going, 
no matter how young or old we are, whether the egg has just been fertilized or if someone is 99 years of age, all human life is to be valued and protected at all costs. What's the point? The point is that God created you and me in a unique way, gave us unique abilities and faculties as human beings and values us in a way that sets us apart from the rest of creation. And here is where we find our identity and purpose, church. We were created by God to glorify him and to represent him here on this earth. That's it. That's the purpose. Our identity is found in God's identity, and our purpose is found in God's purpose. And what is God's purpose? To glorify himself. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. In Romans chapter 11, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And as such, 1 Corinthians, so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. <clears throat> Our purpose here isn't to attend a good school, have a successful career, you know, get married and raise kids. It isn't to work in a church. You know, it isn't to go on mission trips. It isn't to lead a journey group. I mean, those things are good and those things are right and they will hopefully leave the world a little bit better than we found it. But your ultimate purpose, church, is to glorify God with your life and to represent him to the world. Our purpose is not to spend our days, this is where we get into trouble, seeking satisfaction and fulfillment in yourself or the world around you. Scripture clearly refutes the lie that you have value simply because you are exist and you are you, right? In one sense, we do have great value, but that value is only, this is important, it's only made manifest as we fulfill God's ultimate purpose in creating us, which is knowing and enjoying and being in awe of him. That's the purpose. Scripture also clearly rejects the idea that we set our own identities and we can change them whenever we feel like it. The problem is that sin has entered the world and corrupted and distorted and confused our identities and our purpose. We begin to seek our own glory and our own desires and this caused us to be separated from God. And therein lies the real issue. The real issue is that mankind has rejected God and chosen to live our lives and self-centered independence from God. Would you agree? I mean, that's basically the issue that we face, right? I want to do what I want to do, and I'll call you when I need you. This is the root of all of our problems. This is the core essence, whether we are addicted to pornography or drinking or shopping or eating, whether we have enormous pride in our hearts or maybe anger stored up or worry. Whether the out, whatever the outward expression is, the inward cause is our rejection of God and our attempt to live our lives apart from him. And it sounds so simple when you say it, but it's so deeply ingrained in our hearts because of our sinful nature. Preacher and author Malcolm Smith said, we want to be like God, but we want to be separate from God. And he's exactly right. 
In Genesis chapter 3, the serpent questioned what God really told Eve about the tree of life. <coughs> in verse 4, it says, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die you know, if you eat of the fruit. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Mankind has rejected God and chosen to live our lives in self-centered independence. This rejection of God released sin into the world, distorted and twisted the image of God originally placed within me and you, and it causes us to stand condemned before him. God is a holy God, and he cannot be around sin. Isaiah 59.2, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. John 3.18 reminds us, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's a terrible place to be. Sin has separated us from God, caused us to lose our way, and to forget who we are. And so now, we wander through life, you know, we're picking through the trash bins of the world. We're desperately searching and seeking for something, anything that will fill that hole, you know? Anything. But nothing satisfies, not even the good things, because they were never meant to. And so we get more desperate and we dig in deeper and darker places because we just feel so empty. We walk in shame and in condemnation, confused and without hope and without peace. It took my wife, Heather, and I literally probably 20 years to figure out that the purpose of our marriage is not to make each other happy. It's to glorify God. And when we figured that out, everything changed. Everything. It changed the way I approach her. It changed the way she approaches me. It changed us in ways that we could have never done on our own, church. And lest it be assumed that I am somehow inferring that sin is an outside force, you know, that has sort of come and attacked us unwillingly, that is not true. Romans chapter 1 says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened claiming to be wise they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things scripture says we have exchanged the truth about God for a lie and now we worship and serve the creature rather than the creator mankind has willfully and fully rejected God and placed ourselves under his condemnation we have replaced the worship of him with the worship of self and of the world. Romans 1.24, therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. The interesting thing about this particular passage is that when it says God gave them up, it's not like what you might do for your, your teenager. He didn't just say, okay, have it your way. The idea here is that he takes and he pushes you into it, that he kicked them into it is what it means. Which leads us to an important question. Has the fall of man 
completely destroyed the image of God that we were originally created with? That's the question. For me, that's the question. The answer um, is both no and yes. No in the sense that man retains the image of God with respect to our dignity and our value. Look back at Genesis 9, 6. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. The interesting thing here is that we see that this is, um, this is a statement made to Moses after sin entered the world. So clearly we still retain the image of God um, within our souls in some form and some way. So in that, answer, in that way the answer is no. But the answer is yes in terms of the image of God within us has become so distorted and so twisted as to be unrecognizable, right? Think about it like a, um, a car windshield when it gets broken and it's shattered, right? It's still in place, but it's worthless. It's completely unusable. We remain creatures designed to know God and to worship and glorify him, but our sin has caused us to become creatures who curse his name and rebel against his grace. Romans 8, 7 says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not... Dis- submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. In our total depravity, we are so entrenched in our self-fulfillment and so thoroughly in the grip of the power of sin that we are in our own power unable to respond. You can't turn back on your own. But still, Scripture says you are without excuse. Romans 1.20 reminds us that God's invisible attributes have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. Which brings us to the most important question of the day. This is my favorite part of our lives, really. What do we do now? How are we to be reconciled to God? Who will save us? The answer to this question is the main subject of the entire Bible, the good news of, speak his name, church. Who is it? Jesus. The most beautiful of names, the name above all names. On our own, we are broken and lost and without hope, unable to respond to God, unable to stand in his presence. But in his graciousness and his mercy, God sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to bear our sins in his body on that tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, scripture says, you have been healed. When we believe by faith in Jesus, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. In Christ, the image of God is in man it has been restored and is being restored in, through sanctification. Galatians uh, chapter 3 says, For all of you were baptized into Christ, who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you all are one in Christ Jesus. What that means, church, is that God sees his people in two ways. Saved, unsaved, period. Period. Whether you listen to hard rock and roll in 8 o'clock in the morning, I don't know why anybody would do that, or rap or country. I definitely don't know why anybody would do that, but it's fine, really. He doesn't care about your musical preference. On our own, we are broken and lost without hope. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we are born again into a God-honoring, Christ-focused life. 
The Apostle Paul says we are to put on the new self created after the likeness, there's that word, of God in true righteousness and holiness. And it is this righteousness that we walk daily in, believing by faith that God will complete a good work in us. 1 Peter 2.9, church says, you believers, I'm talking to the believers in the room, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Our salvation is, is not a one-time experience only. It is a one-time experience. And we say this all the time. You have been saved and you are being saved. You have been sanctified and you are being sanctified. In Christ, what was broken has been made whole. What was wandering has been called home. What was lost has been found. You no longer have to walk in condemnation. Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Ephesians 5, 8 says, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of the light. This is who you are. This is your real identity. This is your purpose. Apart from Christ, we stand condemned and we have no hope. We, we were created to glorify God and to represent him here on this earth. Our identity is found in God's identity and our purpose is found in God's purpose. The reason that I wanted to talk about this church is because so over the past few months, you know, I have teenagers. And so we, we spend a lot of time with some of the teenagers and the youth and everything and we see the struggles that they go through, you know. We see the things that they struggle with, whether it's pornography or whether it's um, feelings of worthlessness whether it's self-hatred. And I'm confident that that is probably true of some of you, that you just feel so empty. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it doesn't have to be this way. You don't have to live this way. You don't have to fill your mind and your soul up with these things of filth. When God says, here I am, I'm right here. This is who you are. This is who you've always been. And I see them struggle, and it breaks the heart of God, and it breaks our heart because I know it doesn't have to be this way. If we would just repent and turn. My kid told me one day, he said, Dad, I don't know how to do it. What does that mean? I said, you just, you just believe by faith, and you repent, and you turn. And when you fall, you get up, and you repent, and you turn. For the believer, I want you to be encouraged because this message is to remind you who you really are in Christ and where your true value lies. And it's not in yourself and it's not in the world. But you have hope in Christ. For the unbeliever, be warned. This message is a call, it's a pleading to you to turn from yourself back to the holy and the risen God, the only one that can save you. On your own, you have no hope. And you stand condemned by a holy and a righteous God. That's the truth. I want to show you a picture as we close. <laughs> so on the, on the left is my wife. She's going to kill me. 
hey, you're so cute. And, and on the right is my son, Josh. And the, and, and the likeness to me is like undeniable, right? They look exactly the same. And as he grows, he could, he could change his name. He could cut his hair. He'll grow taller, you know. He could move away. He could say, that ain't me. I don't belong to them. He could do everything he wanted to do to separate himself from the family. But the truth is, guys, that he will always be a part of us. You know, he, he can't get that out of him. There's something genetically in him that, that links him to us. <laughs> you can pray for him. Lord Jesus. <laughs> Not my fault. (laughs) Even though he may suppress the truth, it doesn't change the truth. (laughs) Are you going to believe Satan, the father of lies and the voices of this world that says you are your own person, you don't need God? (laughs) Or maybe the voices whisper to you that your life is really actually pretty meaningless, you know, that you're, you're, you're pretty much just a train wreck. And you're worthless. You have no hope. So why even try? That you are hopelessly corrupt, unredeemable, and worthless. Are you going to believe the voice of these lies? Or are you going to believe the voice of truth, church, that says you do need reconciliation? Through Christ, because only through Jesus are we made justified, holy, righteous, and redeemed. My invitation to you, church, is simply to return to Christ and to be restored to the Father. For that is His perfect will for your life. And so, as we close, I, I, I challenge you to do this. Now, we're going to sing uh, the voice of truth, which I love this song. Um, I challenge you to respond to God in some way whether you come pray, whether you stand there and pray, stand there and sing whether you pray with a brother and sister I don't know what that looks like for you but I challenge you to take this message to heart examine yourself turn back to God Lord I thank you for these truths that in you and in you alone we are holy and we are righteous And we are redeemed, but apart from you, Lord, we simply have no hope. We love you. Lead us and guide us in Christ's name. Say 
Your children up. We invited your neighbors yet. Please do that. Uh, text 
VBS, I'm guessing, to the 910-424-1298. Also, we have upcoming equip classes. Of the three, we actually have two still open. One is taught by Earl Smith. It's called How to Experience New Life in Christ. This is, this is the description. Fulfilling God's purpose in your life. Huh, funny how that worked out. Second is Gentle and Lovely, taught by Steve Aldi. In this class, you'll learn about the heart of Christ what ignites him and what would most immediately as he moves towards sinners and sufferers. I think um, both of these courses are um, absolutely mandatory, not in the sense of you got you to take it, but mandatory in the sense of as we seek to walk closer with Christ. These are, these are good things. These are good things taught by godly teachers that if you guys have never gone through, I highly encourage you to please sign up. The last thing is Please find a place to serve, not because we need, I mean, not because we want people, but because it's what God calls you to do, you know? This should not be a matter of, uh, of like Steve is trying to find journey group leaders. This should be a matter of, we're going to have to expand the building because we've got so many people that want to start a journey group. That's what it should be, or whatever it is. I pray that you would prayerfully consider, if you're not already involved in something, to really, really seriously think, where can God use me? And the last thing um, we have, is it seven students? Six. We have six students going uh, to Israel next Saturday for a 10-day trip. This is SLU 401. And so these students have on their own raised, each one of them, over $4,000 to go on this trip. They're super excited. I'm excited about what God is going to do in and through them and for them. I pray that, um, you know, they get to walk where Jesus walked. They're going to be, uh, they're going to swim in the Dead Sea, right? Good luck with that. <laughs> I ain't getting by no shark. I'm sure they got sharks in Israel. I'm just saying. They get to do these things, walk where Jesus walked, visit some of the places he spent time, and I'm confident that, that God is going to use that to draw them closer to him. They're all really, really strong, godly young men and women. I love each one of them, but I want to pray for them. I don't know if any of them are here in this service. If you are, you can stand up. I'm not going to make you come here. Uh, I think they're all in youth. But anyway, let me pray for them. We'll close this in prayer. You'll be dismissed. Lord God, we thank you for this message today. Thank you for reminding us who we are in you. And I pray specifically for these young men and women um, going to Israel. God, I pray that you would keep them safe. I pray that you would direct every word, every thought that comes out of them. I pray that you would give them experiences that would last a lifetime and they would just stand in awe of who you are they, as they walk where you walked, as they stand where you stood, that they would see glory of Christ in maybe a slightly different way than they've ever seen before. I pray that you would grow them in you, protect them, give them safe travels for your glory and your glory alone. In Christ's name, amen. We love you guys. Have a fantastic weekend.
for those who are